0: You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to another week of the Weed Smart Podcast. Today we're going to be chatting with Reddy Trevor Thiessen about their Weed Seed Impact Mill, the Seed Control Unit or the SCU. Cop Manufacturing, they're based in Canada and they sell a range of crop residue management tools. So we're going to find out more about that SCU. And we'll also be hearing from Tim Ford from Feed Central, which is a Queensland-based company providing a buying and selling platform for hay. And Tim basically talks to us about how the hay market has evolved over time and some of the challenges faced today. And obviously hay is super important at the moment with drought conditions in many parts of the country. So hay is being sold and and cut crops are being cut early for hay because they're not going to develop. So we talk a little bit about that as well as some of the considerations to make when buying hay as well. Now, my co host Pete Newman does join me. How are you going Pete?
1: I'm great Jess, how are you?
0: I'm really good and you've had an amazing holiday. Give us a little bit of a brief overview of where you've been.
1: Yeah I have Jess, I won't bore everyone with all the details but yeah, every year we do a trip to Nalu Station which is north of Carnarvon on the west coast up here. It's camping in the desert right on the beach and uh, lots of surfing and kite surfing and the kids were surfing and snorkeling and yeah we had a great time. My wife had a a really nice time as well we, so yeah very fortunate it gets windy though Jess so it does drive people a bit mad uh, the wind but it's uh, very great for kite surfing and yeah, we've got some great conditions yeah, yeah so Really good, and what about yourself?
0: Well, I'm taking some notes from the trip that you had, and I'm hoping to get up north to Exmouth next year and stop it at one of the places you uh, stayed at on the way because you've got natural hot springs at one of the places you stayed. That's very good.
1: Yeah, cool. <laughs> at Warramal Station. They've got artesian water. comes out of the ground really hot, and they pipe it for a bit of a distance to cool it, actually, and then they've got some uh, hot springs. Oh, they're not springs. They're like tubs, hot tubs, on the banks of the Wooramo River, there, and uh yeah, we drove up there and then jumped straight in the hot tub under the stars uh It's absolutely amazing, Jess, I highly recommend anyone to stay there on their way uh on their way through if they're heading north in w a
0: Oh, excellent. Yeah, we're, we're all about tourism and weeds for this podcast. <laughs> That's right. We, we will move into the interviews that we're going to be uh, sharing with you in this podcast today. Up first, we're going to be hearing from ReadyCop's Trevor Teeson about their uh, weed seed impact mill, the sea control unit. And this is a pretty exciting unit, isn't it, Pete? Can you give us your perspective?
1: Yeah, it sort of came out of the blue, didn't it, Jess? Mm-hmm. I'd heard of, some rumours that ReadyCop were doing something, then all of a sudden they've got a website and they've... Uh, Announced to the world that they've got a their own version of a seed impact mill, and looks pretty amazing. I think everyone that's visited that website, which I think is HarvestWeedSeedControl isn't it, Jeff? I think so. Yeah. Which we're a bit angry about that we didn't mm, actually we g- did get, and that get that it. domain <laughs> name. <laughs> we're a bit slow there. Yeah. Well done to them, but yeah, really schmick looking unit, and pretty exciting that there is competition in that marketplace giving great options for farmers and and it does sound like a truly good option Jess.
0: Yeah awesome. All right well let's take a listen. Today we're going to chat with ReadyCop's Trevor Thiessen about their Weed Seed Impact Mill, the Seed Control Unit or the SCU. ReadyCop Manufacturing is based in Canada and sells a range of crop residue management tools so we're going to find out a bit more about them and their Weed Seed Impact Mill but Firstly, Trevor Teeson does join me on the line. Thanks for joining me, Trevor. How are you
2: going? It's going very well. Yeah, thank you for uh, giving me this chance to talk to you.
0: Firstly, for those who are not familiar with Reddickop, can you tell us a bit more about the company Reddickop Manufacturing?
2: Sure, Reddickop Manufacturing, like a lot of you know small egg uh, shortline companies, was started by a farmer who had a problem that he wanted to solve. He started the business in the in the early eighties, and he was a cattle grower, and he wanted to find a way to collect the chaff and. And feed it to his cattle so that he could be more efficient. And so the business started officially, I think, in about 1885 with uh, manufacturing chaff carts. We uh, started exporting right away. We saw interest in other parts of the world, and uh, in fact, Australia was probably one of our first export markets. I think 1989 we exported our first chaff carts to Australia, and uh, you know, from there the, the business kind of changed and morphed over a period of time into straw choppers and the chaff card market kind of dried up for us here in, in Canada. And so we stopped exporting and stopped manufacturing those. And we then focused almost exclusively on the residue side of chopping the straw and spreading the straw. And that's really what most of our business has been about for the last number of years.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. And you have developed a weed seed impact mill, the seed control unit. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Sure. Yeah. in I think it was probably in about 2013, we were having conversations with our distributor and, uh, you know, they were kind of talking about some of the stuff that was happening in this whole area of harvest weed seed control. And, and maybe that phrase wasn't coined back in 2013, but they kind of told us about some of the work that, you know, even going back into the 80s, you know, we saw chaff carts, as I mentioned earlier, were being used to collect weeds and control weeds. In fact, we didn't realize that the chaff carts we were selling to Australia were being used for weed collection. We thought like we were using them for, they were being, you know, used for chaff collection to feed to cattle. but for livestock. I think Harvest Air is a company that worked on this uh, space, trying to find a mechanical mill to, to kill the weeds. And then, of course, famously, Ray Harrington developed the tow behind cart. And, and then by 2013, it was apparent that there was going to be something done on an integrated unit. And, and our distributor said, you know, you guys are pretty good at this residue piece. Maybe there was something you could do to kind of build on that. And using our expertise in straw chopping and residue spreading, to kind of find a way to incorporate those two together. And it was about June of 2014, uh, the business changed hands. Myself and my business partner, Dean Meyer Lee, took over the business from the previous owners. And so, as you can appreciate when you're changing control, you don't do a lot of new development or new product uh, work. So really, we started this project of looking at this weed seed impact mill idea in 2014. Started penciling out concepts and ideas and you know, filing some intellectual property and other things in in 2015, and uh, by 2017 we put our first mills into the field for testing. We tested in North America and Australia that year. Did more testing in 2018, and then in 2019, I guess this is kind of really our first year of kind of a, an official launch into the market. We're maybe a little slower and behind some of the other companies on the market, but uh, but yeah, we were we were working on it probably all the way back until. 2014 if you look at uh, some of the work that we were doing.
0: Yeah right and so how have you gone about in terms of the testing conducting that testing on weed seeds and, and the effect of killing those spit seeds?
2: Yeah I mean I think you know a lot of our focus in the early days is really just to be able to get the mechanical method of driving the mill and you know spinning everything and getting it all to hold together properly. One of the things that we were very focused on was getting it attached and incorporated into the straw chopper itself and so that took a few mechanical challenges but we also recognized that the you know the key point of what we were trying to do here was to kill the weeds and so we built you know a test stand in our in our shop and in our R&D lab area to kind of find a way to capture those seeds and kill them we're very fortunate that while well, we don't have kind of the world experts that you would have uh, in Australia but we do have a local expert her name is Brianne Tidman she works with Ag Canada which is our local research uh, government funded body here in Canada. And she has been our Canadian expert on on harvest weed seed control. She actually has one of the original Harrington tow behind machines. She's been testing here in Canada. This is her third season with that unit. And so she had developed a protocol to kind of say, okay, to to see if this will work and to kind of validate the research results that you guys got in Australia here in Canada. She built this test protocol and uh, we worked with her to use that test protocol as we were developing our mills. And then once we developed the the mill that we've now launched this year in in 2019, we we got her and her organization to, to validate those kill rates. Um, in her lab, uh, under sorry, it was in our lab, but with her researchers uh, to to validate what we were seeing in in our research. So, um, we I, I won't say that we've tested every weed under every condition under every scenario. We kind of did a baseline test using Brianne's, uh protocol, and she's in the process of publishing that paper, and it should be available shortly. We've you know released some drafts of the paper, but um, you know we got very good kill rates. Um, with our baseline testing and greater than 98% kill rates under a wide range of conditions of moisture and different levels of uh, material going through the mill at, um, you know, different, uh, kind of simulated harving, harvest conditions. Um, but, you know, we have more work to do on that. Uh, we want to test a wider range of weed seeds. You know, we're working in Europe, uh, and other parts of North America outside of Canada. And we want to make sure we kind of get a wide range of weeds through the mill to see what kind of efficacy we can get on some of those weeds from those parts of the world.
0: And what cost are people looking at for purchasing one in Australia?
2: So we've done kind of two versions of the seed control unit. We have one that I guess you could argue is a standalone and what it does, uh, well, we, we made a decision early on that we would try to get one system and get one system right before we kind of launch on the other brands. So we, just for a whole bunch of reasons, pick John Deere as the, as the first test to to build up a, a prototype on. And so we, we developed a system where we would use our straw chopper and then the seed control unit would mount onto our straw chopper. That unit would cost about $110,000 Australian. That's what we're retailing it for today. And that's Australian dollars. And then we developed another version of it that kind of modifies the John Deere chopper and takes some parts apart and, and put some other pieces in. And then that John Deere straw chopper can host our mill as well. And so that unit costs about $10,000 Australian less, and then you don't have to put a whole new chopper on. So uh, we've kind of given farmers two choices there to either convert their existing chopper or to put a whole new chopper on, depending on where they're at with what they want to do on the residue side.
0: Okay, great. And uh, this is, might be different for the two different versions, but how easy is it to engage and disengage the unit
2: from a harvester? Well, it's actually almost identical between the two different versions. We developed a, a system where if you want to just turn the mill off for whatever reason, you're running in a field that you don't need to do weed control, or uh, you you just decided you're not going to run it for a period of time, You you have a quick release coupler on the drive line. you just release that there's no belts to take off you don't have to remove the device you, and you adjust a couple of doors to direct all the straw and chaff through the chopper and then you're just bypassing the mill so the mill's not running it's not using any additional power doesn't consume any energy in that process and you can still get great residue spread of your chaff and your straw And then when you're ready to go back into milling the weed seeds, you adjust the doors again, re-engage the coupler, and you're off to the races. You are probably about a five-minute job at max, less time if you know that you've done it a couple times. So it's pretty easy to disengage and engage. If you want to get access to the back of the combine, we because we've designed and mounted it straight onto the chopper, um, the whole seed control unit slides away from the combine. And if you're... Listeners are familiar, of course, with John Deere combines, the way that their straw chopper moves. It just slides on the same rails with the John Deere chopper. And so it gives full access to the back of the combine, which provides a couple of benefits. If a grower wants to test grain loss during the setup of their combine for that field, they can, you know, use a drop pan and put that drop pan onto their combine, slide the chopper and the seed control unit out of the way, and there's ability to do seed losses. If you need to get access to adjust your sieves or to, you know, unplug the machine or do anything in the back, um, all that access is available because it's easily mounted and slid away. So uh, very easy to use. And, of course, if the farmer, for whatever reason, ultimately wants to take the seed control unit off, it's basically eight bolts and disconnect the belt, and that is it. It's a... We've designed it to be integrated, easy to use and kind of a seamless operation for the growers on the John Deere Harvester.
0: That's excellent. Yeah, it does sound pretty easy to do now that you've explained it. And what about residue spread? How does the unit go in terms of achieving even residue spread?
2: Yeah, and I think that was one of the things we wanted to be very careful about. I mean, one of our, I don't know if we call it a claim to fame, or one of the things that we try to promote with our choppers is that we get very even, very fine chop, and we spread it as wide as the header is is cutting. And so, if your if your header is set up to to cut forty five feet, we want to be able to spread all the residue that same distance. And so, when we were designing the seed control unit, and one of the reasons we wanted to incorporate it right into the straw chopper was so that when we direct all that airflow out of the seed control unit, we want it to help enable the straw spread and and enhance it in a sense. We also want to make sure we get as much of that chaff kind of mixed up into the straw so that we can get the chaff carrying Y2. We, we know that if we clumps of chaff into piles and it doesn't get mixed up properly, it can create problems, you know, for no-till operations or in, in some scenarios, it can actually create some seed toxicity issues. You know, under control traffic, it, you know I, I love the systems like, for example, the EMAR deck where you're actually putting all your chaff into the wheel tracks. Well, then you don't have any issue because you've controlled it. But if we're just blowing the chaff around randomly and we're not directing it out of the seed control unit, we were worried that we would create, you know, possibly some agronomic issues. So we, we worked very hard to make sure that that chaff coming out of the, out of the mill was directed into the straw stream and got picked up with that straw stream and then carried along with the straw to the, to the full width of the cut that the header's cutting.
0: What about uh, the mills that you're producing? How many will you be producing this year and next year?
2: Yes, yeah, so we have kind of a limited launch this year. Um again, we want to make sure we get it right and and not uh, you know, overpromising and underdelivering is always the death uh, for any of these organizations and of course, there's lots of interest in Australia and and it's very tempting to drive put too many out, but we did a very limited release. We're focused on Western Australia. Um we <clears throat> we have about roughly 20 total units that will be in the field this year. And uh, we've actually hired a dedicated person who's going to be there to support the units uh, full time, but we've also sent uh, an additional, we'll have in total about five people there off and on from starting a week or two ago all the way through to the end of December uh, to support uh, the development. And we kind of kept it, uh, like I said, contained within the John Deere brand. But, yeah, so a a little bit smaller than I know some of the other folks are doing in in terms of number of units in the field, but uh, it was important for us to get it right and to be able to support the customers who did take that leap of faith with us and and buy the product from us this year. Well, very cool. No, that
0: makes sense, Trevor. And, uh, yeah, is there anything else that you think listeners should uh, know about the unit before we let you go?
2: No, I mean, I think, uh, well, sorry, I shouldn't say no and then continue to talk, but yes, we, um, you know, I think, we think it's really important that, uh, you know, obviously, like I said, we have more work to do, continue to test the weed kill rates. We believe that the baseline is, is high, but there's, there's lots of weeds that we need to continue to put through the machine to, to validate that. You know, our commitment is to make sure we have very high wear, uh, package on, on there. And so we've designed the mills to be reversible and, as that mill wears down on one side during the course of the season, you know, it, it can be reversed and, and, and swapped to the other side of the of the machine uh, to to give a second kind of set of life to the mill. And, and I think we have worked extremely hard to design a, a system that's easy to operate, um, provides maximum kill rates with uh, using the least amount of horsepower make it easy to adjust uh, for, you know, turning it on, turning it off without having to, you know, go through a whole process of, you know, disconnecting it from the combine or dropping it off onto a pallet and, and, and moving it away. And and the other thing we did is we, we also integrated all the controls and you have two choices. We have a standalone screen or we developed a, a control unit that will plug right into the John Deere um, existing screens on the, on the header. And so, yeah, all those things combined, we think it's a, it's a, Slick solution. Of course we made it, so we have to say that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, customer feedback has been really positive and, and, and we're excited. And part of the benefit of what we've been working on is these are also available through the John Deere dealer network as a factory ordered option. So we will be able to make them available, you know, one of two ways. You can order them, like I said, with a Redicop chopper and the seat control unit, or you can order them through your factory order system on the John Deere. Order process and, and we've done a deal with John Deere to, to make those available through the, through the factory system. And for us, that gives us a lot of additional support. That means those units that bought, get bought uh, will have full John Deere warranty and full John Deere corporate support behind it, not just the Redicop support.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for giving us an excellent overview of the seed control unit and a bit of background on ReadyCrop itself as well. We really appreciate it. And yeah, obviously, Australians are very excited about weed seed impact meal technology. So we really appreciate you being able to give us an overview. It's really valuable. Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity to share with you. We, uh, we appreciate the Australian business very much, it's uh, a big part of our company's revenue stream. And so uh, thank you for the chance to talk to you today.
0: Thank you so much for Trevor Teeson there for having a chat with us, obviously on the other side of the world, so it does get a little bit tricky with timing, so we really appreciate him taking the time there. Now, Pete, in that interview we did talk about lots of aspects of their new sea control unit, but one of the things that's really impressive about ReadyCop is the residue spread that they achieve with their machinery. Can you give us a little bit more detail on your perspective on this?
1: Yeah, Jess, I mean, ReadyCop are well known for the MAV chopper which is a really good option for spreading residue the full width of the harvester and that residue spread's getting more and more important just yes, with controlled traffic and we really need to throw our residue the full width of the harvester a lot of harvesters aren't doing that and it really is important in this context because when we talk about costing out harvest weed seed control tools as we did with that re insight with the computer model that we put out a few weeks ago we talk about the the mills all the different mills returning all of the nutrients back to the soil but that is only a thing if they can spread that residue evenly over the full width of the harvester jess otherwise you could it's almost like having a 20 foot wide uh, chaff line if you like Mm, if you're not spreading the full width so because we would depleting part of the paddock so i think really important that ready Cop are addressing that issue and if you know i haven't seen it myself in the field but i take their word for it that that they are getting that spread by teaming it up with that mav chopper so i think that residue spread is a really important aspect of it and be very keen to, to see it with my own eyes
0: and pete was there anything else about the ready Cop interview that really stood out for you that you want to highlight
1: uh, just super interesting that they can reverse the mills uh, in the in terms of wearing. So that'll be interesting and and great to hear that they are getting some good independent testing done. I know that Brian Tidman he uh, referred to is sort of on an international team. That's sort of led by Michael Walsh I think and Mike has uh, worked with this team of researchers all around the world assessing harvest weed seed control in a lot of different countries and Brianne is sort of on that team and has learnt from Mike about how to assess the mills for seed kill so he's got the right person on the job there to uh, to get that good independent testing and yeah it would be good to see her paper when it comes out and, and see uh, see those results
0: Alright well let's move on to our next interview now Pete. We're going to be hearing from Tim Ford from Feed Central. They're based in Queensland and they provide a buying and selling platform for hay and now obviously hay at the moment is a really important factor because there's lots of drought conditions in lots of parts of the country and so uh, hay feed is a really important product that people require and it's sort of a bit of a topical subject so that's why we've got Tim on and we're also going to hear a little bit more about how you know that market has evolved over time and some of the challenges that are faced like for example maybe making sure that weed seeds are not crossing borders, things like that. What are some of your thoughts around the hay market and the importance, especially in uh, the conditions we're seeing today?
1: Yeah, well, it is obviously super important at the moment, Jess. There's so many people needing vast quantities of hay because of the very dry conditions. And also, really important that they have a system to assess that feed quality because, as he says in the interview, when when, uh, feed gets tight and people are buying hay, they end up just having to buy whatever they can get their hands on. Uh, So it is still important to assess that feed quality to to make sure it's going to do the job so there's a lot of aspects about uh, about what he's got to say but i think yeah really important with the weeds that we don't spread weeds all over the country and so really good to to have someone independent who is ensuring that that we're not doing that we're not we're not exporting particularly resistant weeds uh, where they're not wanted
0: yeah definitely all right let's learn a bit more and take a listen to the interview with tim ford Today, we're chatting with Tim Ford from Feed Central, which is a company based in Toowoomba, Queensland, and they provide a buying and selling platform for hay nationally. And today, we're going to chat about how the hay market has evolved over time and some of the challenges faced today, particularly in today's climate. So, Tim Ford does join us on the line. How are you going, Tim?
3: Well, very well, thanks, Jess. It's great to be here.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Now, can you firstly give us a bit of a background on the history of Feed Central and how it came about?
3: Yeah, no worries. Uh, I did a uh, small short stint in the export hay area in the late uh, 1990s when that part of the industry was uh, really starting to hit its straps. And uh, then I came back to Australia and uh, recognised that uh, there was a lot of disorganisation within the fodder industry on a domestic level. And specifically when a buyer such as a dairy farmer ran out of feed or their traditional uh, supplier ran out of feed, it was very, very difficult for that dairy farmer to uh, get a similar quality feed to what they were used to. And subsequently their production... Uh, was faltering, and therefore I started Feed Central in two thousand and two uh, with the purpose of connecting buyers and sellers of hay with the quality of hay required by the buyer.
0: Okay, right. And so let's move on to talking about how the hay market itself evolved over time in Australia, in particular. Can you give us a bit of detail on on that situation?
3: Yeah, there's been a a few key a few key things that have happened during that time, and. One is the uh, the water market and the trading of water within the Murray Darling Basin. We've seen a, a trend away from irrigated hay, specifically lucerne, and where the water has gone to higher value crops such as almonds and and citrus and olives and a variety of a variety of other crops, even corn and cotton have. Uh, have taken volume out of the loosening industry and we've seen that being replaced with the dry land production especially the dry land production where they can yield a high biomass such as southern New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. Um, The other thing that's happened is that the uh, large square bale really started to make an impact in Australia as we were getting going and in more recent times in the last five eight years, I suppose, we've seen the high-density large-square baler, meaning that we are now at the point of overloading trucks to their legal limits, and so we're having to drop bales off to ensure we comply with the with the relevant state laws, which means that we're getting much more efficient freight to what we were getting in the early days, and we're getting close to maximum freight efficiencies now with the high-density large-square balers, such as the Crone eight-string baler. And the other thing that's happened, it's been slow, it's incremental, but it has made a difference over the last two decades, and that is the opening up of road train routes and B-double routes to the extent now that we've got uh, road train routes in some areas through northern Victoria, which means that that's made a big impact on the price, on the freight component of, of the hay. You know, in summary there, the hay's growing where the biomass uh, yields can be high, such as Northern Victoria, Southern Victoria, South Australia, and, and the Riverina. And we've had uh, an increase, uh, you know, slight and but continual improvements in freight through the high density bales and the opening up of uh, b double routes and road train routes through those regions.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting, and I, I suppose probably particularly beneficial, especially at the moment with drought conditions, so hay feed is, is really sought after at the moment. Uh, what are some of the factors to be considered when supplying hay into drought-affected areas, like coming from Victoria across borders into New South Wales and Queensland?
3: Uh, look, that's a great question. I think when demand has been so high and uh, supply has been relatively short, it's easy to and convenient to forget about quality, but it's really important that we continue to focus on delivering quality hay to the buyers. They're paying top dollar, and unfortunately when buyers are under considerable pressure and stress, even the buyers forget about about quality and, and they just buy whatever's available, which is a really sad component of the drought been so severe, but I just think we have to be responsible and ensure that we buy, that we as an industry supply the best quality hay um, possible. And I think largely the industry, that's been one of the other industries, that, that one of the other things that has changed in that a lot of suppliers now are very quality conscious and they're trying very, very hard to make a good quality product. The other things that they need to consider, um, apart from quality, is the delivered price. So a lot of people are still buying on an ex-farm price, but the delivered price uh, is where your freight efficiencies come in with getting maximum weight on the truck. So the growers who have invested in... The Crone eight-string bales, for example, and the other high-density or the other high-weight bales that are on the market have invested a lot of money and they can they can get uh, maximum weight on the trucks. So the growers getting a little premium there for the, for the weight on the trucks and the buyers are still getting a very economical delivered price. And so the delivered price is very important. And of course, weeds are very um, important the suppliers are taking care not to uh, you know to cut crops early to ensure there's no viable weed seeds in those uh in those uh, bales that are that are being transported such big distances
0: i was talking with our northern extension agronomist paul mcintosh who uh suggested this interview topic and he kind of mentioned that there's some different types of hay being cut now so chickpeas are being made in to hay in recent years and in some areas due to frost or drought conditions how has the changing climate affected the types of hay being produced can you give us a bit of an overview
3: Yeah, look, there's been a lot of different things produced, everything from sugarcane through to chickpeas, through to canola hay and sorghum stubble and a whole heap of things that we wouldn't normally see produced. I think the jury's probably still out on chickpeas being made into hay, but things like canola Uh, really come into its own in in these times. Canola makes a a very, very good quality hay when it's done well. And things, you know, there's been things like faba beans and a variety of pulse crops all cut for hay. And they do generally make quite good protein hay. Uh, And uh, and of course frosted frosted wheat and barley, there would be hundreds of thousands of acres of frosted wheat and barley crops being cut through the country. That all makes uh, those crops make very very good quality hay. So we see the industry really gear up during drought times, and a whole heap of stuff gets made. And when you think about what's happening and and, uh, our ability to change and adapt to the seasons, hay certainly is a very major consideration uh, in this day and age for many, many grain growers.
0: Okay, and you did mention just earlier in one of the earlier questions there about making sure that you're cutting early so that you're not getting weed seeds into hay and weed seeds getting across borders. How much of an issue has that been in the past and is it still an issue today?
3: Uh, I think it's unfortunately one of those things that probably uh, conveniently gets forgotten about when the demand is so high. It's one of those things that we all should be really mindful of, and we probably need to be uh, in, take a leadership position and be responsible on. And we do see it in our own case. We won't uh, we won't buy out of areas where there's no noxious weeds, or we won't. We might trade within areas, such as Bithynium areas in Central Queensland, but we won't trade from a prothenium area into another area because the risk of weed seeds is so high. And on when it, so when you're dealing with noxious weeds, we just take the position that we won't trade. And it does happen, but there are very significant state-based penalties for doing so. But other things that we do more practically is that we do see quite a number of growers who may be making hay intentionally in order to control weeds. Be very careful where they where they sell it. So they may, if they're feeding it on their own farm, they may just have a area where they can control those weeds the next year. So if they're trying to control barley grass or rye grass, for example, they may bale a paddock and then just feed it out on their own property uh, where they can control it in future years. They'll also move it to... Uh, dairy regions where they've probably already got those weeds so there i think some growers are being very responsible about where they sell that to so that they're not moving it into areas where they be new areas but also of course you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of graziers that are looking for rye grass you know they don't mind some rye grass mm, on their properties yeah. so you know so it's being very mindful in our case we do our inspectors go out on the farm and they do make a really big effort to record what what foreign material including weeds that they may see in those bales and we declare that on our on the internet and on, a, on our hay quality statement so buyers can choose with all the information in front of them whether they buy it or not. So right through from the inspections through the growers being very careful about how they feed it themselves or who they sell it to. But the other big one of course is silage. If there is a significant weed problem silage is a very good alternative to reduce the viable weed seeds numbers and to get that crop really early you can often cut silage much earlier than hay so you can be cutting it you won't be able to the hay won't be cured but the silage doesn't need to be cured so it can be uh, it can be made much earlier when those weed if there there is a, a contaminated paddock that may be able to be cut earlier and then either sold on or moved... Or, or fed on their own farm, the silage is a very good option.
0: Okay, excellent. Great advice. And Feed Central and yourself directly have been involved in implementing feed quality standards. So just finishing off, can you just give us a little bit of an overview about this journey? And obviously you've mentioned a bit about the outcomes so far earlier in the piece, but can you just give us a bit of an overall picture of that journey of getting to a position where um, the feed quality standards were really uh, raised to a higher level?
3: Yeah. Look, I hope we have been responsible for that, and I, I think we probably have been responsible. I think it, the job's not yet done. The industry has to go the next uh, has to go the next step. In our own case, we've seen growers continually get uh, higher returns directly through higher prices in our system, where they've been able to prove that the hay is of a high quality. So we do that through a visual grading system and supported by feed tests. Uh, we still believe that buyers want uh, a visually attractive hay. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that buyers do want a visually attractive hay. They want to know what weeds are in it, they know they want to know what it smells like. So we do all that through our hay quality statement and um, give it a visual grade and a detailed visual description and we do the feed test as well. And we couldn't really do any of that without the internet. and buyers being able to go online and see photos of the hay. Uh, This year we've got videos of the hay. They can see a written description of the hay. We're doing infield paddock inspections these days as well. So all of those things, and we can't do any of that. We can do it all before the internet, but we couldn't communicate it. So the internet gives us the ability to communicate. So when you talk about our journey, the internet, And the cloud platform and so forth that we use has been an integral part of our ability to roll out these feed quality standards. You know, there's still a long way to go. There's more technology that we can adapt. Um, We can spread it further within the industry. This year, we've just embarked on an accreditation scheme where we we are accreditating contractors and we can also open that up to accredited Growers and agronomists who are looking to uh, be able to do a visual assessment of the hay in order to get it uh, to get it listed on our system and in order to be able to sell it. So it's still got a long way to go, and it's you know the about the journey. It's hand in hand with technology. When you're talking about technology in the rural community, it's it's important to keep up. With the technology, it's important to be at the forefront of the technology. But from my own personal experience, when you're too far ahead with the technology and we have been at times too far ahead of the technology uh, or too far ahead of our clients with the technology, then we can lose some clients from the journey. And so we got to find that balance of getting the, the quality systems right and the technology right and ensuring that our clients are with us on that journey or it loses its momentum. And yeah, as I said, the next step for us in that journey is getting that technology into the palms of the hands of the haymaking contractors, the agronomists and the growers that are doing this regularly, so they can help us with this uh, quality and grading system that we use to to sell the hay.
0: Excellent. It's fascinating and we really appreciate you giving such a great overview there, Tim. Thank you so much.
3: No worries. Appreciate that, Jess. Thanks for your time.
0: Thank you so much to Tim Ford there from Feed Central giving us a great overview on the hay market and some of the considerations to uh, look at before, uh, yeah, either buying or selling and making sure weed seeds aren't crossing borders, all those sort of things. Pete, we were also having a little bit of a chat offline there about strategic hay and what was the other one? Tactical hay. Can you give us a little bit of background on, uh, you know, some of the decisions people might make around whether they cut a crop for hay or not?
1: Yeah, Jess, well, obviously strategic is where you would, decide at the beginning of the year to seed a crop normally oats uh, with the intention of cutting it for hay whereas the tactical hay is is just where you've got a crop in of just about any type these days as you mentioned uh, and things aren't going so well for whatever reason could be drought or frost and, and it's cut for hay instead of harvested for grain and what we are seeing is that because the hay price is high because there's high demand for it in a lot of situations it. Even if it's a decent-looking crop, Jess, it can be more economically viable to cut it for hay and make more money than harvesting the grain. So really, uh, I mean, it's all been cut now. Anything around the country that was going to be cut for hay is pretty much done but really I'm sure that a lot of the growers have done their sums and worked out, OK, I can get this many dollars if I cut it for hay versus this much if I harvest it for grain. And uh, sometimes cutting it for hay can be can be lower risk in some situations because uh, they get the job done early and there's no risk of, of the crop having problems after that point. So, yeah, it, just with these high hay prices uh, and with some crops failing for different reasons, it does make for some very calculated decisions.
0: Yeah, definitely something to consider depending on your circumstances. All right. Well, that just about sums up the podcast for this week. At the top, we did hear from ReadyCops Trevor Thiessen about their Weed Seed Impact Middle the Sea Control Unit, and that was really fantastic to get an overview on that. And then, of course, just before, we heard from Tim Ford from Feed Central, who gave us that great overview of the hay market. So thank you so much to both our interviewees. Was there anything else that has popped up, Pete, that we should be sharing with listeners this week, do you think?
1: Well, I've obviously been on holiday, Jess, but I've heard that the first crops have been harvested up this way. Uh, So, yeah, I don't have any news of how they've gone. It's a bit early, obviously, and it's not a good season. But, yeah, harvest is underway in Western Australia. So uh, by next time, we'll have some sort of reports about uh, what's happening harvest wise around the country
0: yeah definitely and in between podcasts of course don't forget to jump on the WeedSmart website weedsmart.org.au there's lots of great case studies and blog posts and ask an expert stories which you can have a look at and follow us on facebook and twitter as well to keep in the loop with weed smart content but yeah thanks very much Pete.
3: thanks jess